Hello and welcome to Movies on the Side. This is Stephen Robles. And this is Nate Baranowski. And this week we review the 1996 movie Twister starring Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt. We go to Romance Corner not once but twice because Bill Paxton has two love interests in this movie. I discover that Philip Seymour Hoffman was in this movie as we record. I complain a little bit about Bill Paxton's acting, sorry. We also comment on the special effects and plot of this almost original disaster movie. Steven asked the question, are the tornado chasers in this movie good at their jobs? And at the end of our show, Nate and I come up with an entire plot for a Roland Emmerich-directed disaster movie. And you, the listener, gets to decide which one is the best. All this and more on Movies on the Side. This week, we reviewed the 1996 movie Twister, starring Helen Hunt and Bill Paxton. And Nate, I just want to give a personal thank you to you. you. You had a movie that you have asked to do for the past two weeks. <laughs> and, and we will get to it, I promise. But something in me... You needed I'm not this. sure what it is. Yeah, it was like medicine. Something in me, a disaster movie... It's just, I don't know if it's a palate cleanser is the right word, but it's just kind of a panacea for all the ills in the world. Just watching a disaster movie, even a bad one. I don't know, something about it. What word did you use there? A P-A-N-A-C-E-A. How do you say that? Panacea. At least my accent. Uh, pa- no, panacea. I don't know. When the uh, moon I'm going to learn how to. <laughs> panacea. Anyway. Okay. So this movie, I feel like I could be wrong. This feels like the original disaster movie at least for me. This feels like the first movie that I saw probably on TV when I was a teenager. This was like the first disaster movie. And it I remembered it burned into my mind as that movie, Twister. Right. Did you watch this when you were a kid? I don't think I did. I definitely rode the Twister ride at Universal. So wait a minute. Is this the first time you've seen it? I have seen bits and pieces of it. The ending of this movie is very familiar to me. It was on cable a lot. But I don't think I've seen it. All the way through. Right. I'm glad I could reintroduce this joy of a movie to you, Twister. Oh, man. <laughs> Starring Helen Hunt. Okay. I feel like we don't need a spoiler horn this episode because the title of the movie is the spoiler. It's about twisters. <laughs> like, yeah. It's about tornadoes. Like, you're going to see lots of tornadoes in this movie. And that's the, uh, that's it. It's about tornadoes. Right? Yeah. I don't think we need a spoiler horn yeah. for it. On rewatching this movie, though, I thought it was hilarious how much they made wind into a horror movie character. Yes. They tried so hard with creepy music right from the very first scene, like curtains blowing into the wind and whistling and howling. I wrote down the note, do they put a lion sound effect into the thunder? <laughs> I looked in the trivia section, it's a slowed down camel sound. What? Is what they use. But there are definitely sounds that the storm makes that I go, that doesn't seem not what nature sounds like no i mean there's literally whenever there's a large tornado especially the last few there's like growls camel growls right camel growls yeah and like wind doesn't growl like that i half expected to see the mummy's face in the side of the tornadoes (laughs) oh that's a good one but also like the music that they choose is so creepy horror movie like they're trying so hard to just like ominously talk you know Depict a tornado? It's funny. I think sometimes it works. And other, like, for example, the suspense before the tornado comes and the, he stares into the clouds and holds the dirt or Helen Hunt <laughs> is standing by the checkout window and just kind of staring off. Sometimes that suspense is good. But I think, I mean, I just watched this movie. There are a lot of tornadoes in this movie. And you can't do... You can't make everyone the creepiest, craziest thing in the world because by by the time we get to the end and it's like, it's a T5 or F5. <laughs> yeah, F5. It's F5. an F5. Like, I've already seen a lot of different tornadoes and I'm a little bit fatigued by it. Now, Nate, you're a meteorologist, so let me ask you. Yeah. I find it a little unbelievable. Now, I understand they're in Tornado Alley, which is that place in... Midwestern America. That is that considered Midwestern or is that Western? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, Tornado Alley. They're in Oklahoma. I feel like in the span of what two days? Like this whole movie basically takes place over two days. Mm-hmm. From the daylight in one day, there's an overnight, and then you have the next day. I I 
don't imagine there can be that many large tornadoes in the span of 36 hours. Am I wrong? I think that there can be. And I think they set it up just in case people like you didn't believe it. They said a lot of things at the beginning, like this storm system is just one after the other after the other. I mean, I heard the words they were saying. I just didn't know if it was like a real thing. You know, if these cells keep building like this, there could be a record outbreak of tornadoes. Stephen, I need to go to the beginning of this movie. Yes. And I need to talk to you about a few things. We see Helen Hunt. I thought you were going to talk about the 3D title of Twister. That's what I thought you were going to talk about at the beginning. <laughs> oh, actually, loved that. <laughs> I did, however, love that. Okay, Swirling perfect. into view. Yes. She is with her dad. And is that her mom or is that her aunt who we see later? That, I think that's her mom who we never hear about again. Okay. Okay. <laughs> who didn't die. Didn't die in the first scene, but also we never hear about her again. Okay, here are some of my thoughts. Yeah. One, I thought to myself, is this movie going to kill off Toby the dog? Yeah. Because you're, you're worried that the dog's not going to get in the cellar. And then we get, they all go down to the cellar. The tornado is around them, about them. And the dad is holding the cellar door. The dad holds on to it like, I can't hold it anymore. <laughs> right. He holds on to that door and gets whisked away. Yeah. I had, and they were all fine in there. I had the thought to myself, what was he hoping to do? Keep the tornado out like it's a killer trying to come for them. If, (laughs) why didn't he back away from that door and go to the far back of the cellar with Joe and the mom? What was his thinking there? Because they were fine back there. (laughs) They were fine. And that was, so I watched this with Whitney and she remembers a lot of this movie. And she was like, every time you see that beginning, you think, surely he's not going to just stay there holding the door. Surely. And be taken away because Helen Hunt's child, you know, stand in and the mom, they're apparently totally fine even when the door blows off and the tornado's immediately over them. Right. Yeah, I don't understand why he did that. I don't think there was any purpose to it. He should have just gone to the back of the monk hole. Yeah, that was that was tough for me to feel like, man, you didn't have to stay by that door. It wasn't like you had invaders trying to open the door and you were keeping like gunmen out. You were yeah. keeping the tornado out? Yeah, th- that was strange. So the cellar door scene ends and we come to a motley crew of tornado chasers. <laughs> there is a fun trumpet-led melody that sounds like we're watching a Wild West. I love the trills of it. It's kind of this happy, adventurous tune yeah, that yeah. plays. And we meet this crew, and we meet Bill. Bill Paxton plays another guy named Bill. <laughs> right, Bill Hardy. Who is with Melissa. And I just want to say, Dr. Melissa Reeves, I'm sorry for the way you were treated in this movie. It seems unfair because you seemed fine and a good person. Tell me what you think about Bill at the beginning and his new fiance, Melissa. So, I mean, this is kind of like Romance Corner because... I guess it's the first romance, right? It's the first romance. So Dr. Melissa Reeves, which we don't really get much about her right here at the beginning, but we throughout the movie, we see her talking to like clients and we come to the... Understanding that she is a uh, intimate relational therapist, I'll just say that it is very strange. And also, if I was Bill Paxton, I would not leave her with Dusty <laughs> of all people in this team, so he could take care of her. Which I, for some reason, had no idea. But now looking at the IMDb, the fact that that, that was Philip Seymour Hoffman, the fact that Dusty is Philip Seymour Hoffman is insane, it's very and good. I love it. It's very good, and also explains why. Of all the characters in this movie, my wife and I both loved Dusty. Mm-hmm. We thought he was we thought he was kind of funny. Extreme! It's the extreme! <laughs> I thought when I started watching this movie that Melissa was gonna end up with Dusty. Because they have this look when they see each other sometimes that I go, she's kind of repulsed, but... Slightly interested. Fascinated yes. by him. Yeah. And I thought, is this one of those movies where it ends, she ends up with Dusty? That would be hilarious. But I, Philip Seymour Hoffman is, I don't know, his whole character, I don't know. I just love it in this movie. But anyway, Dr. Melissa Reeves and Bill Paxton, I don't believe their relationship for sure. Obviously, throughout the movie, comes to realization like, well, yeah, of course you... It's not believable because there's a whole part of his life that she has never even heard of. She thought chasing tornadoes was metaphorical. Yeah, that was very strange. But anyway, I, I didn't buy that. She is the stand-in for us in this movie. She is the one who asks the questions that if you're not a tornado lover. Right. She is the one who says, what does F3 mean? Has anyone seen an F5? <laughs> oh, man. She says that at the table. Has anyone seen an F5? And it's like someone dropped a cup. They all look at her like... <gasps> 
of record scratch. We don't speak of F5s. I was like, that's actually not a bad question to ask. Right, especially if you're totally ignorant of this topic. My question to you is, though, accent corner. Was that Southern accent in and out? I mean, is that just me? For From Dr. Melissa? That's right. I actually didn't really care or pay attention. <laughs> I'll play some clips of her voice because sometimes she sounds very Southern and other times not. I think maybe she sounds more Southern in the overdubbed uh, sections. Apparently in this movie, they could not figure out how to record the sound of people that are supposed to be driving in cars right. because there's a lot of overdubbed talking. I think she's maybe a little bit more Southern sounding in that. I, I guess it probably seems kind of sudden. So you're telling me that Billy knows what a storm is thinking? Well, he hasn't really told me about all this. I have a question for you, Stephen. Yes. Helen Hunt in this movie is sort of in the tradition of Laura Dern from Jurassic Park. To me, they operate very in similar mental circles in my head. Yep. Which one do you like the most? Which one do you think is the better protagonist? In their respective movies. I'm going to say Laura Dern and Jurassic Park only because whatever affected Helen Hunt in that first scene as a child, she's got a real hang up with tornadoes. She does like walking towards them. She likes walking towards them. I just want to see it. She just wants to see it. I don't understand what is to see, which we'll talk about the last <laughs> scene in the movie <laughs> shortly. Yes. But I feel like I'll go with Laura Dern over Helen Hunt. But I like Helen Hunt in this movie. That's not to say that I don't like yeah. her here. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think she plays a great character. I'm going to say... Mad about you. Sorry. No. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm going to say something here about Bill Paxton as oh. Bill. I'm not sure I like his acting in this movie. Yeah, I agree. No. Which is odd because I've never heard anything... Um, again, this came before I was really like deep into movies, but I have never heard ne anything necessarily negative about Bill Paxton as the leading man in this. But there is something about the way he says everything. A weak. If you could play a couple of his lines, just like <laughs> his emotional lines, I'm not sure if I find his character very likable. You see, Melissa, it's like this. These sensors go up the funnel and radio back information about the internal structure. We'll see who gets there first. Out. Tom Hanks read for this role. Ooh. I would have struggled to, to see him as a tornado chaser. You know who would have been great in this role? Dwayne The Rock Johnson of today. <laughs> in, in, in the role of, of Bill Harding in this movie. With that age no, and, and no. Helen Hunt and everything. Oh, I yeah. can't. I can't. No, he's too, would have been he's great. He's would have been great. to be chasing tornadoes. Unless he wants to punch a tornado. Which I think sometimes they do want to punch a tornado in this movie. I watched part of uh, San Andreas again the other day. It's a great movie. We're not. We can't. It's a great we movie. <laughs> okay. Okay. So that is my thought as far as Bill Paxton. Yeah, for I sure. I think Romance Corner. I think they try very much to show they have chemistry. I don't know if I see it a whole lot. So I'm kind of, I'm lukewarm on Romance Corner. What do you think? Definitely lukewarm. Like, I understand, like, the plot serves Romance Corner more than the acting does. Yes, yes. <laughs> the fact that they keep getting in these positions where they're, like, chasing their tornado and trying to get Dorothy up, and they're both in their element. They're both working their passion together, meaning Helen Hunt and Bill Paxton. That's when they're at their best, when they're both like, yeah. oh, you built Dorothy, and they're so excited about new data. And it totally makes sense. Data. Yeah, and it totally makes sense. Like, oh, of course, they're going to reconnect over this stuff. So I feel like the plot totally serves romance corner and i believe helen hunt bill paxton i could take her leave like i don't think he did a great job i think Dwayne the rock Johnson yeah. will be excellent in that in that role let's talk about carrie elways as jonas the guy from the bad guy princess bride oh yeah he was the princess bride and robin hood men and tights and various other things that's right honestly i feel like he was unnecessary in this movie i think it was kind of cool having a bad guy but he wasn't that bad so in some ways, I feel like, all right, he's kind of an antagonist, but he's sort of just a jerk. He says this line, which I wrote down. I really enjoy your weather reports. <laughs> and Bill Paxton's like, you, you. Sick burn. And then he goes like to fight him. And I was like, he just said, like, he just made fun of you being a weatherman. He didn't say anything. <laughs> too bad and also when when bill paxton gets super mad that he stole the dorothy idea i did not believe the rage that bill paxton flew into yes. trying to punch him i did not believe that at all just putting that out there yeah it did seem a little bit strange but i was sad to see jonas and the guy who looks like igor drive into that tornado 
<laughs> that was such an unceremonious end, too. It's like, again, I think it was pointless. And you know, as I was thinking about what we're going to do right after we review this movie, mm-hmm. I thought about one of the reasons why I might love disaster movies is the bad guy is a faceless, nameless thing. That grunts like a camel. And you can and you can really just root for the good guys, right. for the protagonists, and not feel any mixed feelings about some bad guy who believes he's doing the right thing. It's true. I think that's why in this movie, the bad guy seems superfluous. Because in so many other disaster movies, the, the bad guy is the core of the earth. Or Stanley Tucci in that case, but... No, sometimes the bad guys in disaster movies are like bureaucrats. Right. And people who like aren't active trying to save their own skin and it's right or they're your ex-wife's fiance right <laughs> exactly <laughs> okay 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 steven 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 steven, yes, steven, yes. steven i want to talk about a chase but go ahead i mean i have a, i have a premise here okay i'm going to ask you a question i want you to answer this honestly okay are our heroes from this movie good at their job of chasing tornadoes i would love to believe they are because they have such a motley crew of people and vehicles. <laughs> like yep. these vehicles of pickup trucks with a camper on it and run down everything. I love it all. And, you know, some of the characters, I don't know any of their names. Okay, so Rabbit, played by Alan Ruck. Yep. He's like the navigator and he's got like maps coming out of everywhere and he's got like mm-hmm. spiral bound atlases. I would love to believe that he is just like the master of finding a route. That he can just look at a map for a second and be like, take 44, you're going right. to turn right over there. Which Siri does for you nowadays. Well, but you don't. You got to be in the path of the hurricane. Siri doesn't right. know where that hurricane's going. Only. And by hurricane, you mean tornado. That's exactly right. Only Bill Paxton knows where that tornado's going. That's why he can. Because uh, you know, he can feel the emotion. Feels that he can let go of the dirt, see the wind blow, <laughs> and he's the only one that knows. But if you were chasing tornadoes, I have to believe that getting caught in tornadoes and losing two maybe three vehicles means you're doing it wrong it's a dangerous job nate it's a dangerous job they chased three tornadoes oh no and the fourth one came at them (laughs) they were stuck in every single one of them like you have at some point in time you have to be like i saw mm, 20 houses about six tractors one cow a fence trees same cow a semi-truck tanker all get picked up by a tornado right all they had was one canister with a bunch of little tiny balls in it (laughs) and they can't seem to get that sucked up inside of a tornado and i don't understand even when it tips over they're like it's ruined and i thought well i mean the balls can be on the ground can't you just uh won't those just get picked up i thought that too you know well, I'm sure there are people that look at your 3D art, Nate, and they're like, I mean, how hard could it be? You, you just draw some lines. Yeah. Well, why Why does it always get washed away in the rain? Why can't uh, the chalk guy do it so it doesn't wash away? You know what I mean? I can't even respond to you because I'm not exactly sure the connection you're making here. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm just saying that chasing tornadoes <laughs> is probably hard. Like, 3D art is hard. And maybe they're doing the best they can. Okay. Chasing tornadoes may be hard. But listen, just leave one of those canisters, Dorothy, at, you know, Aunt May's house. Uh, because a tornado is going to come right back and just like I just saw so many things destroyed by a tornado and I thought yeah. man if you could just make like 10 of them and just place them around and stop putting them in the backs of trucks where you have to like yeah. disconnect them and pull them out of the truck just like leave them on the side of the road somewhere just get disposable trucks just plan to drive it in the middle of a tornado every time right that would probably make sense get a remote control dune buggy and drive that well, into the, the tornado this is 1996 alright Tesla wasn't around they had remote control in 1996. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, listen, I just want to say a couple things here. Well, number one, the first tornado chase that they do, there's the scene where they go through like every cab of every car mm-hmm. and there's like four different songs playing all at once. One is like classical music mm-hmm. and one is like rock and one is country. And I just love that scene. I thought it was hilarious. Pretty good. It's a kind of a good way to give you an insight into all the different people on this team. Dusty being my favorite, you know, and doing a thing. But I have to talk about Aunt, Aunt May. I'm going to call her Aunt no. May. <laughs> <laughs> what is her name? Aunt Meg. Aunt Meg. Meg. Aunt Meg. Okay. I love the scene where they raid Aunt Meg's house and everybody gets steak and eggs. And it's a, it's a nice feel-good scene. Like the gang's all back together. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Then later, 
there is a scene with Aunt Meg where she's like trapped in a house, and we'll get to that in a second. Mm-hmm. But that scene is preceded by this massive tornado that comes to attack the team as they're staying overnight at some motel. Right now, here's my question: Right, the place that they are at is a drive-in movie showing The Shining. Yes, it is also a snack stand. There is also seemingly a brick church yes. in the middle of this area, mm-hmm. and there is also a motel. And they eventually have to hide when the tornado comes in what seems like an oil change like an car repair, like an auto yeah. shop. Nate, what is this place that they are at? It is lot 45 on the Universal back lot. And here are some <laughs> buildings we had from other movies in 1995. And I guess they're all together now. That's my okay. my my note is you have these buildings lying around from other movies and we need buildings that we can destroy. Okay. Recycled buildings. I like that. I like that theory. It doesn't make any it sense. It doesn't make any sense. Watching the scene, I was like, I don't understand this at all. Also, the projector showing the shining mm-hmm. while the tornado is taking out the screen. Apparently wherever that projector is is rock solid. Because <laughs> that video is not moving. There are a lot of things that get destroyed with people very near them. And I do think whenever I see a cow flying by, I I think, now, shouldn't that be doing something to your car as well? Or if I see a barn getting destroyed behind you, shouldn't that be picking you up, the human? If you're under a tiny little bridge and the tractor on top gets whisked away are you, and the, the nails get pulled from the wood boards, right. are you just hugging onto a pole and you're fine? You got that kind of grip strength that you sloth. I don't understand. Okay, so that happens, and that same tornado then attacks... Aunt May's house, which is her name is Aunt Meg, but I'm saying yeah. Aunt May because it's funny. Yes. They yeah. are in Good what, explanation. <laughs> they are in Waukita, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Nate, I did a little research on Waukita. Yes. First of all, at the time of Twister's release, 1996, mm-hmm. the population of Waukita, Oklahoma was about 520 people. Right. That is the population of the town. Now, get this. In 2010, so about 14 years later, mm-hmm. numerous tornadoes touched down, causing significant damage to the Waukita area. Oh, no. Then, shortly after, the population of Waukita, Oklahoma, was counted as only 344 people. They lost 200 people. Nate, my question to you is, did this movie, the 1996 Twister, starring Ellen Hunt and Bill Paxton, Mm -hmm. did this movie destroy the town? Of Wakita, Oklahoma. Well, yes and no. <laughs> yes, because they actually filmed in Wakita for part of it and actually destroyed part of the actual town of Wakita mm-hmm. to use. They demolished it as part of the their film set. And then in return, the movie production studio uh, rebuilt part of the town and left a fire truck around as a gift to the town. <laughs> they then uh, put in a twister museum in the town of wakita where they have dorothy on display oh wow okay partly it was destroyed for this movie and also apparently if you create a tornado mockery the tornadoes will then find you Mm -hmm. they're sentient yeah now they get to aunt meg's house and she is trapped in the basement which she said she never made it downstairs, but somehow she's in the basement. I guess she fell through several floors. Fell on through. And survived. And this is a rescue scene where a CRT television threatens to kill them all and is held on by a single coax cable. This felt like a superfluous scene. I agree. I didn't need it. And then also when they finally get her out, the entire house just collapses behind her. <laughs> I feel like it's a little convenient. I think I would have liked for her to... I like when she looked out the window and everything started spinning and making noise, all her sculptures. Yes. I think that should be the last time we see Aunt Meg. And then when they show up, her house is gone. And that adds a little (laughs) bit more. But is there a post credit scene where she's on a yellow brick road? Speaking of which... Let's talk about the end of this movie because yes. our heroes get inside of a tornado. Okay, now wait, now wait, hold on, hold on. So there's a massive F5 tornado, the same one where the bad guy and Igor get sucked up and die. Right. There is a scene of the red pickup truck with the final Dorothy trying to get ahead of this tornado to release Dorothy. Mm-hmm. In the midst of this chase, the pickup truck is required to drive through an entire house. Loved that. Loved that. Don't believe it, but I loved seeing it. Yeah, I don't think that it lined up. It didn't line up well enough that you could get through one window and out the other. No, no. 
then they somehow put, he puts it in cruise control and they go through a cornfield with Dorothy in the back of the pickup mm-hmm. truck and just let it drive towards a tornado. I was great with that. Which is the remote control, I guess, that I was talking about. It's oh, just cruise true. control. It's, it's just cruise control. I mean, if it's a mile-wide tornado, you probably don't need it exactly steering in one direction. <laughs> It's true. But anyway, there's this just one moment I just want to point out that as the pickup truck is driving towards the tornado, Helen Hunt is like holding out her hand as though she's like zombie walking and she's saying, go, go. Go, go, go. That was terrible. Yeah, that was really weird. Why was that? I, I, I chuckled at that because I was like, wait a minute, Helen Hunt, you acted well during this. Who, who gave you the direction to hold out your hand like that? Because that was weird. That was very weird, and, and what she was saying was weird. Someone told her to do it. I don't think Helen Hunt would yeah. have done that on her Yeah, own. that's true. So then uh, Dorothy goes up into the tornado, all the little balls with Pepsi cans attached, now flying up there. They learned that tornadoes spin <laughs> from all their sensors. <laughs> one of the lines from one of the team guys, I forget who says it, yes. but as they're getting all this data, one of them says, we're going to be very popular. We're going to be very popular! Baby, she's flying! Yep. And someone earlier in the movie says the line, no one knows how a tornado works. And I thought, well, this is not 1895. <laughs> this is 1995. Right. I'm pretty sure people can kind of guess there's, how what happens inside of that tornado. There's not enough warning, Nate. They need more warning. Mm-hmm. Anyway. And knowing how fast it goes inside will help, I guess. Okay, so then we finally get to the last scene, as you were saying. Yes. And they, they see the inside of a tornado. They tie themselves to a pipe. <laughs> First, they go through a barn with a bunch of sharp objects, and they question the integrity of the people that live there. I did enjoy that moment. Because Bill Paxton goes like, nope, we're not doing this. Right. Yeah, but anyway, yes. They then get to a little shack, and they're like, this pipe goes down 30 feet. Ben- beneath them is a grate. Here's what I would do. Open the grate, go down underground. Because here's here's the thing. Here's what I know. I have never been inside of a tornado, but I have seen several in my life, Mm. some closer than others. Oh, wow. And what I can know, even from watching this movie, is that if you're above ground, even if you're tied to a stationary uh, pipe, there are things whipping around so fast that a tiny scrap of wood will go right through you. Mm. I do not believe that two people that are stationary aren't just getting riddled with debris. Right. Like, stuff is flying around them at hundreds of miles right. an hour. Because the shack was around them at first. Right. Everything that's around you will just hit you. The hubcap came off that car and sliced the one guy across the forehead. But apparently not not too bad. No, no, he'll just be fine. Little... He'll be fine. So anyway, that I think is the most unbelievable, and that has been talked about in movie history, but... But Nate, what did you think about... The climax of the movie, the moment where we actually see inside a tornado. I wrote down, as the music swelled, I opened my phone and wrote this note. When she looks up and sees the inside of the tornado, that she would say, Dad? Hello, Joe. No. It's me, (laughs) your father. I've been in this tornado for 30 years. (laughs) Why does it sound like Mufasa? Goodbye, Dad. Everything the light touches can be yours. I didn't know that was... I've been in this tornado for 30 years. Dad? I don't know if that was Mufasa or the contact lady, uh, Jodie Foster with the... Uh, that wasn't Jodie Foster. Who was that? Yeah, Jodie Foster was in contact. It was, okay. I just feel like... I didn't write this down, but that final image of her actually seeing inside a tornado, I'm like, it's just a little tornado inside the big tornado. <laughs> That's all it is. It's not like going down to the core. We're not wondering what happens inside of a tornado. Right. But I... Are we? I don't know. Are I feel like... there's a portal in there to Oz? I know you're in, we're in 1996 here, and so you're subject to the special effects of 1996, which many times in this movie fall flat. I mean, let's be honest. Right. But some are good. And it uh, won a BAFTA award for best visual effects. It was nominated for an Academy Award for best visual effects. So for the day, it was good. You know what? I would love to see some behind-the-scenes footage of all these people staring at a blue sky with some huge fans just blowing yes. in their face. Yeah, Because that's all this movie. <laughs> that's all I did think are. during the hail scenes, like, man, that'd be tough to film in, getting pelted with, even if they're soft, you know, styrofoam. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That can't feel good. Okay, my final question for you, Nate, before we review this movie. Bill Paxton, his fiance leave. Dr. Melissa Reeves, she's like, I'm out. This is crazy. <laughs> And then yeah. Bill Paxton gets back with Helen Hunt, 
who's technically they're still married. Because she, she never signed the papers. Well, and actually she did. There's actually a scene with her signing it. She doesn't sign the last one. The really important one that says everything you signed before oh. is you want to confirm? Everything the light touches. Subscribe? <laughs> right. A D. Above. Do you want to unsubscribe? All the above. Are you sure? You need to re-put in your email address to unsubscribe. <laughs> um, did Bill Paxton... Did he make the right choice? Should he have gone after his fiance? Should he have left Joe mid-mission, which would have ruined the whole movie? But should he have done that, or did he make the right decision to stay with Joe? He should have gone after Melissa, Dr. Melissa. Here's the thing. You think so? Here's the problem. Apparently, he never really told her his I don't know, questionable passion for being inside of tornadoes. And I feel like when he did a lot of like, all right, stay back, you can... like. I don't know. I feel like you have to make sure your fiance is okay. And she was inside of several tornadoes during this movie and she was clearly shaken. And he was just like, all right, go back to the hotel. You'll be fine. I got to go. And it's like, ah, I don't know. Your fiance is dealing with some things. You should probably go after her. And for all we know, she's great and is just maybe more of a city person, you know, from the big city of Omaha or wherever they were. There's a weatherman. She seemed to be not disparaging of the career at all. Maybe a little bit judgmental of the daredevil mentality, but who wouldn't be? Right. Here's, here, here's what it is. I think Bill got off the hook because she decided to leave him. Because mm-hmm. yeah. if she didn't and she went back to the hotel, is he still going to be kissing Helen Hunt connected to a pipe? Maybe. He might, they came pretty close earlier. He kind of got a get-out-of-jail-free card there. Yeah, I agree. He didn't have to make the tough decision, which I feel the movie might have done better having had to have him make that. Anyway. I have to add this thing at the very end. Yes, go ahead. A kid comes out at the very end of the movie. A family comes out of the cellar at the, at the final barn. And a kid comes out wearing, uh, has kind of a bowl cut, a basketball shirt, long white socks. And I looked at that kid and I said, oh, that's me. That's 1996 me. Oh, there I am. That is true. That's exactly my style of 1996. Well, I didn't wear a jersey, but anyway, okay. <laughs> well, let us rate this movie, Nate, on a scale of zero to five Pepsi cans. <laughs> because honestly, it's the Pepsi cans that saved the day. It's the only reason Dorothy flew. Without it, those little uh, plastic balls would have just been. That's how they afforded some of the reshoots, I guess. <laughs> Pepsi money. I guess so. Nate, I'm going to give this movie. Three Pepsi cans. It probably doesn't deserve it. Mm. But I'm going to say three Pepsi cans because A, Dusty, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, is worth it. B, I think Helen Hunt does a passable job. You know, I think given the cards handed to her, including Bill Paxton's acting job in this movie, I think she did pretty good. And yeah, some of those special effects, they're, uh, they're evocative. I mean, seeing really huge tornadoes, you know, now disaster movies post-2010, they just throw tornadoes in there willy-nilly. Tornado's not even like the main event of a disaster movie. But back in 1996, when this was like, it was just tornadoes, and that's the uh, antagonist, I don't know. I thought it was good. I'm gonna give it three Pepsi cans. What about you? (sighs) I think I'm going to give this movie, Twister, two and a half Pepsi cans. Okay. I'm I'm verging towards two. (laughs) I'm going to actually give a half pepsi can to the ride at universal on how much as a kid i loved <laughs> feeling the wind blow on me gotcha. in that ride where you basically just stand there while stuff breaks around you a little bit gotcha okay and i'm pretty sure it all just kind of resets while you're still in the room walking out <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious all right so we have a post show this is not a top five but Nate, you said we have to do this. We are doing we this today. We must. And so tell our listeners, Nate, what are we doing today? Today, Stephen and I are pitching movies to the other person on what is the most Roland Emmerichy disaster movie plot <laughs> that we can think of. We are making movies out of our minds and pitching them to the other person. And I would love for the other person to, they can ask clarifying questions or react to our movie. And I'm very excited, and I got a little bit too into it, and I wrote a little bit more down than I was anticipating, but that's life when you're a freelance artist. (laughs) And I'm furiously finishing up my plot here. 
uh, as we go. So maybe uh, if you can go first, so I can finish getting my ideas. I will be intently listening. No, no, you, no, you finish. You finish your plot. Okay. All right. You ready? Yep. Oh wait, did you have a name for your movie? I do. It's oh, not great. It, it needs a little bit of work. Actually, why don't we not deliver the name of it? Okay. And then at the end, have the other person can come up with a good name. <laughs> Okay, all right. All right, so here's my disaster movie pitch. First of all... I'm ready. I'm listening. Here's who it stars. You ready? Oh, you, you put you put some actors to it. I mean, I put two. I put Dwayne Love The Rock it. Johnson and Anne Hathaway. Those are my two... Of course. Those are my two main characters, okay? Love it. Now, here's the plot. It's, uh, you know, maybe 2030. We'll say it's 2030. Mm. And due to climate change and carbon dioxide gas, mm-hmm. our atmosphere has become unstable, Mm -hmm. and there are slowly holes opening, allowing the sun's rays and, like, the uh, UV, uh, you know, whatever. You remember those death rays from the core? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, because the core there's, like, those kinds of, those, that thing. The atmosphere is breaking down. It's, it's, It's opening up, so it's leaving the Earth vulnerable to space and the sun and all that kind of stuff. And so, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who is... I don't know. I, I will say he's the astronaut, and Anne Hathaway is the scientist. Yes. And so in order to save the Earth, listen, there's nothing, we can't do anything about it here on Earth. If there's nothing to be done. The atmosphere is gone. What do we have to do is go up into space mm. and build a quasi-atmosphere with some kind of satellite array that then shields the Earth like the atmosphere would mm-hmm. from the sun and all the other elements of space. And so Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Anne Hathaway have to go up into space. They make a stop at the International Space Station. Maybe they pick up one or two side characters. Maybe there's some... Are they a little funny? Are the side characters <laughs> a little bit funny? <laughs> Who's that guy from Armageddon that was crazy? Uh, Steve Buscemi. Yes. <laughs> Steve Buscemi's in there. Uh, yes, they pick up some some funny side characters. There's some, you know, tragedy on the space station, of course. Some, some like, event, you know, that they get out just in the nick of time. And then they have to fly around the Earth. Maybe there's multiple space shuttles or multiple yes. ships, you know, having to lay out this array of satellites across mm-hmm. the Earth. And then there's also some kind of, like, computery things going on down on the ground because they have to program this array to work and it's of never course. been done before and who's the character that's doing the programming who's the main character back on earth it's the guy who played boris in goldeneye what's his name okay uh <laughs> you know you know what i'm talking about yep yep yeah, yeah uh he's the one doing the programming, clicking the pen yeah he's clicking the pen yeah he's doing the programming and then Anne hathaway and Dwayne the rock johnson they 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 just get you know the last satellite in place to protect the earth before atmosphere totally degrades and the earth is burned up like a mm-hmm. torched apple from the core yes uh, but, you know, there's some also final climax where even after the last satellite is in place, you know, maybe someone gets like disconnected from the space shuttle or maybe there's some kind of issue and somehow extraordinary rescue needs to take place uh, there right at the end. And, you know, I see some of the disaster type things like the core, you know, where we have like the Golden Gate Bridge cut in half by a heat ray. Yes. Or, you know, we have glaciers falling into the ocean because they're like heated up yes. very fast and it causes a tidal wave. So we see a tidal wave here and there. Maybe there's even some massive crater uh, because of the heat ray that comes from the sun and just cuts the earth in two almost, you know, some huge gash. Mm-hmm. And we almost have like a 2012 style, you know, uh, <laughs> maybe John Cusack is actually in this movie and he flies a plane <laughs> over the <laughs> the crack in the earth. Yeah, that's a... Uh, that's, that's my disaster movie idea. That is fantastic. Thank you. I do have a couple of questions. Yes, please. Are Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Anne Hathaway, what is their connection? Is it romantic in nature? Is it... Oh, it definitely leads that colleagues. way. I mean, Anne Hathaway sees uh, The Rock as like the fly boy who, you know, might not be the most intelligent guy. Mm. And and he sees Anne Hathaway a as... A real the, lost in space Joey. That's right. That's right. Connection, Matt LeBlanc. <laughs> yes. And The Rock sees Anne Hathaway as kind of a stuffy scientist, kind of like Judy was in Lost in Space. And Matt LeBlanc. Yes. It, yes I get yeah, it. You know, yeah, you also, can say Lost in Space. Yeah. They're, they're antagonists at first. And then, uh, you know, they fall in love. Are, are, is there anyone on the earth who is uh, opposed to this or sabotaging this or is truly the breakdown of the atmosphere of the ozone? Is that the villain? I, I think – now, I like the idea. I, didn't, I hadn't thought of this, but I do like the idea of how like some organization is creating some Noah's Ark 2012 style where there's like some spaceship that's going to be leaving Earth, but it's not public knowledge. Only rich people can buy a ticket on it. Mm-hmm. Now, I like that as a B plot. And I think Mads Mikkelsen, as the orchestrator of that 
I think that might work pretty well. And instead of 2012 being like, instead of it being like a boat, it's more like a, you know, big, oh, Nate, wait a minute. Yes. Nate. Yes. It's it's Elon Musk. Mm. Elon Musk built the Mars shuttle. Yes. To rescue people. But there's some conflict where, you know, the government thinks that everyone's going to die if they try to go to Mars because it's not been done yet. And this would be the first mission. And Elon Musk is saying, this is the only chance people have to survive. We need to get off this rock. Is Elon Musk playing Elon Musk in this? Or is this uh, Either that else? or Mads Mikkelsen is playing Elon Musk. I oh, think, <laughs> think you kind of got the same look. Yes. I think that would be a great B plot. Wonderful. So at the end, they save the Earth. So what about yeah. the people that go to, like, so people don't end up going to Mars? I feel like that that B-plot should end in, like, Disaster. some kind of tragedy <laughs> yeah, yeah, where, yeah. where like, it's about to take off and there's some malfunction. And they find out, like, with five minutes left. And so most people get off the shuttle. But then Elon Musk, who still believes in it, like, dies with the space shuttle. I feel like that that's what needs to happen. Do you have a name? For, you have a name for this movie? Okay, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give a name for it. I've actually been yeah. googling a little bit to find something. <laughs> right now, SpaceNet is what I have, no. but I think it's. I wanted like something about the protective coating they put around. If SkyNet wasn't already taken, I feel like that I know. Would it, be, yeah, it would be <laughs> SkyNet. The ideal name, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's something like that. It's something. What about what about GeoShield? Okay, GeoShield is perfect. Yes, you've done <laughs> Thank it. You. Thank you. Okay. All right. Well, Nate, I'm very excited to hear your disaster movie pitch. Okay. I'm going to, it's a little bit long, so I'm going to kind of stop around, like along the way for you to give a little commentary track. Okay. Very Are good. you ready? Yes, I'm ready. <clears throat> I don't have actors connected to this. Do you have any actors connected to it? No, I oh, have okay. none. You can kind of think of them in your mind and okay. give them to me as you feel. All right. I, like um, I just want to let you know that all uh, following ideas are Roland Emmerich uh, based, but they are my. Uh, personal property roland if you want at me mm-hmm. um these are available for you for a small nominal fee here we go and, ro- and royalties and some royalties absolutely the movie starts with duck hunters in kansas <laughs> two buddies hanging out on a beautiful fall day a flying v of geese fly overhead when all of a sudden they turn and dive bomb into the ground geese are furiously diving and hitting the ground along the bewildered hunters in rio de janeiro a couple walks through the city streets when a huge jaguar wanders out of an alley and stares at them growling no. they back up but he attacks Several teenagers in Italy are cliff diving on a sunny day. When a boy jumps in and is underwater, a giant whale shows up in the shallow water and the camera cuts right before it runs the boy into the rocks. Oh my goodness. Immediate cut to a graphic on the iPhone and an an alarm going off on it. We back out and see Mark trying to figure out how to turn off the phone alarm while working at a sales counter. He's about 50 and works in a Boston suburb hardware store. He's terrible with technology. This is Bruce Willis, by the way. Bruce Willis is... Okay, good, 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 good. Bruce Willis, thank you for connecting. Yes. All right. So that's, that's my intro. Okay. Yeah. Are you, are you compelled? Do you feel Rolandy? Well, yes, I'm very excited. This has been a, a, a tragic and grotesque beginning to a disaster movie, but I'm about it. Yep. Here we go. Uh, his name's Mark. His son tries to call him on an iPhone that his son bought him, but he can't seem to make it work. He laments how everyone is on their phones all day. His son is at MIT and his wife works in DC and has left him years ago. We meet his wife, Sarah, working with a mobile phone company about to roll out a new 6G network and lobbying for less government regulation. <laughs> oh, oh no. She is likable and driven. No, <laughs> they have been contacted by a bunch of hunters nearby saying animals have been acting strange. Oh, she drives out to rural Virginia to show this is all a hoax and meets an old man named Marv who raises bees. Um, I need you to connect an actor. As I talk about Marv, I really need you to connect an actor with Marv. Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges. is Perfect. He's a doomsday guy who has found his bees acting strangely. Sarah thinks he's crazy until he shows her how his bees are making honey in strange patterns and end up flying in tight tornadoes and then falling to the ground. He talks about the electromagnetic field on the earth being messed up by man-made cell phone towers as well as power grids. Unnerved, she calls her son, Griffin, on the way back to the office, since he has been doing studies about the electromagnetic field at MIT. He gives her a history lesson that the field protects the Earth from solar rays and controls animal migratory patterns and movements. She asks if humans could impact that. He laughs and says, probably not. The Earth's magnetic field naturally changes from time to time and every 500,000 years or so actually does a polarity reversal. There shouldn't be too much of an issue because that change takes thousands of years where north becomes south, etc. 
Humans would just adjust to it. She asks him to look into it just in case because what she has seen is strange. Cut back to Mark. He's using his phone to call his dad, John, who has Alzheimer's and lives in a nursing home in Boston. When right in the middle of the call, the phone call switches to a man in India, Ramesh, who is talking to his dad as well. They are confused, but stay on the line and talk to each other. Ramesh says he has also had a problem with his cell phone, too, and they bond. They exchange numbers. Griffin performs an experiment and discovers the polarity of the Earth is rapidly shifting. Okay. This okay. polarity flip might be happening faster than ever. Okay. 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 Any thoughts before I move on? Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's great. I feel like Bruce Willis might, might not be the best anymore. Oh, you feel like he's too capable? I, I, I'm thinking of somebody maybe a little younger. You know what? No, no, no. He's got to have a son in I get, college. I got it. I got it. I got it. Okay. Okay. So Jeff Bridges is definitely the old B guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm thinking? What? Denzel Washington. Mm, he yes. is the protagonist. And then his wife that has left him. Doesn't like technology. Scarlett Johansson. Okay. She seems a little bit young to have a, a college-age son. But... Well, that wasn't a problem in Deja Vu, let me right. just say. And then here we are. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. I'm in. <laughs> and then, I'm in, Scarlett Johansson. Now, the, the, the college What about team, the son? The MIT son? Zac Efron. Okay. Perfect. No, it wouldn't be Zac Efron. I just don't know that many actors in that age bracket. Right. So right, that, right. that's a little harder to... You know, and if... I'm going to give you an alt. I really think Denzel Washington would be great. Scarlett Johansson, maybe we'd have to do somebody else. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's Jodie Foster. Who knows? Oh, yeah, I like Jodie Foster in that role. That might be good. So Denzel, Jodie Foster, but also an alt for Denzel. Because I've never seen him in a disaster movie, I don't think. Ewan McGregor. I think he'd be good in a disaster movie. Oh, would be good too. But I'm I like not the sure idea. His American accent. Though. No, I think I like sticking with Denzel Washington, main protagonist. Perfect. Maybe Jodie Foster as the as the female. Yeah, and it's, let's go with that. Okay. I'm very intrigued. And now we're back in. Yes. Before Griffin can call his mom to report his findings and his experiment, the power goes out and his cell phone doesn't work. The power is out on the entire eastern seaboard and all cell phone networks are down. This causes panic and some minor calamity. People have never been more isolated without their phones. Mark gets in his truck and drives to MIT to get his son. He doesn't need navigation, because he's kind of anti-tech, and he meets some people along the way who don't know where they're going because they've been relying on GPS for everything. He picks up Griffin, thinking it's just a power issue, when Griffin tells him his experiment showed alarming news that there will be a polarity reversal in the next week, and due to the magnetic field weakening, solar winds will hit the Earth and vaporize wherever they touch down. Okay. They drive to D.C., Marv, the beehive man played by Jeff Bridges, drives to go get Sarah out of the city because people are panicking. He picks her up in a giant cement truck at her house because he remembers where she lived from their interaction. Now, a uh, little editor's note, I added the large cement truck because... Roland Emmerich loves when people drive around in really big vehicles. That's right, that's right. He gets her out of the city while thousands of birds start raining from the sky. There's a big pileup on the highway, big action scene. Marv crashes and dies heroically, saving Sarah from the burning cement truck. Wow. It just so happens Mark and Griffin are come across the crash and pick up Sarah. Of course. They tell her the news. Mark always carries around a compass needle. He's a little bit of an outdoorsy type. Uh -huh. The compass needle begins to move away from north, and they stare at each other ominously. The cell service is turned back on, and Sarah has a voicemail about a task force forming in D.C. to figure out what happened with a cell phone service outage. She takes Griffin with her, and he stands up at the meeting with a picture-heavy PowerPoint discussing how they have a week <laughs> to track where these solar winds will hit and evacuate the areas. The polarity shift is happening super fast, and as the electromagnetic field is weakened, the Earth will be vulnerable during this time. Meanwhile, back in India, the first solar wind event ha hits and boils a nearby sea while Ramesh and his family run from a burning superheated wave. They barely escape, and he calls Mark to warn him. This happens all over the world. A heat wave hits Boston, where a lot of the people are evacuating, but Mark's dad in the nursing home has not been evacuated. Hmm. Mark calls his dad and tells him how much he loves him. His dad doesn't recognize his voice, but says thank you to this stranger for his kind words and tells him if he has kids to hold them close because he has a son named Mark, who he is really proud of and hasn't seen for a while. The call ends when the heat wave hits the nursing home. Mark cries in front of Sarah for the first time ever, and she comforts him. Hey, this, this, this is a lot of plot. That's you, like, you really, that's my, you really that's wrote that's out this emotional movie. moment. I just want to say. I did. Okay. 
Griffin and Sarah and Mark, so all three of them together now, get taken to the White House because his report was proven true in the task force meeting. And the president and them sit in on a virtual meeting with the world's powers. A Russian scientist on the call says he believes the world's use of Wi-Fi and cell signals has sped up this polarity shift, and it is no longer a week away, but tomorrow, and it will vaporize half the earth that is facing the sun. Mark speaks up, well, why don't we just shut it all off? Would that give the earth some time? They look at him like this is novel, and then they all scramble for the next 24 hours to shut down all telecommunications and internet. (laughs) A moving voiceover speech by the president talks about how for a week they will all go dark and to prepare themselves for it. People with pacemakers and other electronics that they rely upon for signals may be lost, but if they do this, the world will not burn. Sarah calls her boss. He refuses to shut down Verizon. The cell phone company. (laughs) It will lose them billions. No, no. Okay. They go to the headquarters of this cell phone company. In a weird turn of events, while at the phone company's HQ, a solar wind flare begins to heat the area. Everything begins to overheat and people begin to get burned. Sarah, Mark, and Griffin run to a server coolant tank that is super cool to negative 20 degrees. Mark gets stuck by a falling pipe and Griffin splashes the super cold liquid on him before the heat, right before the heat wall hits. The tank immediately becomes a hot tub, but Sarah and Griffin are inside and are safe. Mark has third degree burns everywhere, but is alive. At that moment, the rest of the world unplugs. Griffin holds the hand of his dad, who smiles and jokes about technology not being so great after all. Mark hands him his compass and passes out. Griffin looks at the compass and the hand moves slightly back towards the north. Two years later, the world looks a little different. We learn that several more areas were hit in the world, but no global extinction event. People use landlines again and talk to each other more, and no one else is on their cell phone. Griffin is working for an emerging technology regulation board in DC. The president gives a voiceover about how we are more connected now, as internet and phone services have dropped by 80%. Sarah is sitting on a porch of a cabin in Montana. Mark walks out the door with scars on his arms and sits next to her and gives her a drink. There are so many animals walking around them. He reads a letter from Ramesh in India. They have become actual pen piles. It's a picture of Ramesh and his dad smiling. Mark and Sarah hold hands. Credits. Wow. That is something, Nate. The title Frequency is already taken (laughs) by a movie with Dennis Quaid and uh, Jim Caviezel. But, oh man. We have Dennis Quaid back in this movie. Yeah, I think he should. I also... He could be the president. I was going to say something like... I was going to say something like connection loss or loss of, you know, like a... uh, Oh, like lost signal or like a... Yeah, like signal loss. Signal loss might be good. Or maybe like high frequency. Mm, mm -hmm. That might be be something. I I had a working title of The Field. (laughs) (laughs) We just call it 5G. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Or six, or okay, so what did you think? What did you think about it? Do you have any questions? I'm pretty sure I fleshed it out. <laughs> yeah, you fleshed it out pretty pretty thoroughly. It involved a big car driving during oh, a, a highway calamity. Involves a redemptive story of a <laughs> divorced man. Yes, as all disaster movies do. It, in, it involved a president giving a moving speech. Yes, you what you have to and have. the warnings of technology and climate change. That's right, and you included another country, which I like. You know, that's 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 a good disaster. Like, oh yeah, it needs to get sort of the global audience engaged. I like that. No, I I think it's great. Uh, Roland Emmerich, uh, we know you listen to the show. <laughs> I think uh, go ahead, you connect with Nate. I think you got a winner here. Perfect. Oh, by the way, the bees were in the cement truck during the crash, and they all flew out. <laughs> <laughs> Twist. Okay. <laughs> Listeners, tell us, which disaster movie would you go see out of the two that Nate and I just pitched? And if there's any actor recommendations you have for these roles, we'd love to hear those too. You can tell us on Instagram, at Movies on the Side. Comment on the post when it goes up. We're also on Twitter and Facebook as Movies on the Side. If you haven't yet, we'd appreciate a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. And don't forget, we have bonus episodes every week where we talk about stuff. We talked about a restaurant that Nate ran into, a Pizza Hut Italian Bistro this week. Mm. That's on our bonus episode. You can find that on patreon.com slash movies on the side. Thanks for tuning in. And as we always say, I got to go, Julia. We got cows.